So let's take our Bibles, if you have those, and uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter number 3 this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter number 3, and as you find your place there, let's stand together uh, in reverence of God's Word as we read the Scriptures here today. Philippians chapter number 3, and uh, we're going to look at verse number 13 down to verse uh, number 15. I'd like to bring to you a message entitled, A Successful Runner. A Successful Runner, as we think about the race Uh, that God has set before each and every one of us here this morning. Philippians chapter number 3, and uh, we're going to look at three verses, verse number 13 down to verse number 15. The Bible reads in verse number 13, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you uh, once again just for the awesome opportunity that we have here to uh, be in college and then also to be here during this chapel hour and uh, to hear the preaching of God's word. And Father, we ask that you would meet with us during this time. And the Holy Spirit of God, eliminate all the distractions that we might have externally, uh, internally, within our minds. And pray, Lord, that you'd help us to focus on the truths that we find here in Philippians chapter number 3. Lord, I pray that you'd anoint this time, use it for your glory and for your honor. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be pleased with everything that takes place. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we read through the writings of the Apostle Paul throughout the Scriptures, we can assume that he was a sports fan because we find throughout the Bible that he uses regular analogies in illustrating the truths and the principles of the Word of God. I think about what he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 26. He expresses the personal Christian life as he thinks about that of a sport illustration. He says, there's so fight I not as one that beateth the air. And the word fight there means to contend. It means to box. And obviously Paul there is alluding to the sport of Greek boxing as he writes to the church at Corinth. I think about to the Ephesian church as he writes to the believers there in Ephesus. Paul compared the Christian life to that of a wrestling match. In Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 12, he writes there, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he uses the word wrestle, which means to struggle. And once again, Paul is obviously alluding to the sport of wrestling. But as we think about these different sports metaphors that he uses throughout the Word of God, it seems the one that he uses most often, the one that he's most fond about uh, within the Scriptures, is that concerning the Christian life illustrated as a foot race. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And then I think about what he writes in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 24. He says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And there he uses that word course, and that word course there speaks about a race. And he uses it again towards the end of his life as he's writing that final epistle to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, in verse number 7, he says, I have fought a good fight, 
I have finished my course. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And you see here this morning, just like Paul had a race, uh, just like Paul had a course before him in his Christian life, every single one of us, we also have a course. Uh, we also have a race that God has called us to run, and our desire ought to be the desire of that, like the Apostle Paul, that we would be successful in the sense that we would be faithful until that final moment, that we'd be a successful runner for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe here this morning to be a successful runner in the Christian race, it behooves us that we would learn from those who have gone before us. Uh, we would learn from those who have been successful runners in the Christian race and that we might glean and learn some principles and some lessons from their life and also from their experience. If I wanted to become a successful quarterback, I think I'd go out there and study the life of maybe Tom Brady or Joe Montana. If I want to go out there and be a successful basketball player, I might study the life of Michael Jordan or maybe Kobe Bryant. If I want to go out there and be a successful boxer, I might study the life of Muhammad Ali or maybe even Mike Tyson. And, and I'd study these different characters that I might be able to glean from their life and from their experience. I remember several years ago, I started taking up the sport of golf, and immediately as I started playing golf, I wanted to improve, and so I began studying different videos of the life of Tiger Woods, and I saw how he would swing as he stepped up to that, uh, uh, stepped up to uh, drive that first shot, and I studied his putting, and I tried to emulate his swing and his style and, and uh, just his skill set when it came to the game of golf. And likewise, here this morning, as we think about the Christian life, if we want to learn how to be a successful runner in the Christian race, after, of course, the example of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nobody better to learn from than the life of the Apostle Paul. And as we think about Philippians chapter number three, I believe Paul gives us here some insights on how we might run this race successfully for our Savior. I find here his mindset and his practice, and we find some skills here concerning how we might be successful and faithful in running the race that God has set before us. And so I want you to notice with me a few thoughts on how we might be a successful runner in the Christian race. First of all, notice with me, I find here, uh, starting in verse number 12, a proper attitude. Uh, we must have a proper attitude as we think about the Christian race. The Bible reads there, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Uh, by the time of the writing of this epistle, it would have been around 60, about 62 AD, Paul had been saved for about 25 years or so, and, and Paul would have accomplished many great works for the cause of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I think about some of his spiritual accolades, as I uh, think about maybe his spiritual resume in the Scriptures, a short time after his conversion, he made such an impact in Damascus that he was forced to flee that city. And then the Bible teaches us that for several years he went into Arabia where he studied the Old Testament scriptures in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt there he received revelations from the Lord which really formulated uh, the essence of New Testament doctrine. Upon his return, he evangelized Tarsus and then Cilicia. Then he was sought out by Barnabas and he was brought to the city of Antioch and made a great impact there uh, in that New Testament local church. Uh, later we read that he evangelized and went off to the island of Cyprus. 
He planted a string of churches in the region of Galatia. He championed the cause of Christian liberty that uh, Gentiles need not to become Jews for them to trust Christ and be saved. And, and uh, we find that in Acts chapter number 15. We also think about the fact that Paul also pioneered works in Europe and planted churches in Macedonia and Achaia, the church at Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and Corinth. He also reached the city of Ephesus with the gospel and started the Ephesian church. And, and that church sent out missionaries and church planters and, and soul winners. And they reached that region of Asia Minor with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also think about the fact that the Apostle Paul was instrumental in influencing other uh, preachers and other men of God that would go out there as Christian leaders in the New Testament church. I think about Timothy. Uh, I think about the fact that he discipled Titus and Luke and Silas and Aristarchus and Gaius, and the list can go on and on as we think about the lives that Paul influenced for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also think about the fact that he performed great miracles. Uh, the Bible teaches us that he healed the lame, he casted out the demons, he cured the sick, he raised Eutychus from the dead. We also read that Paul suffered greatly for the cause of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was beaten, the Bible says. Uh, he was scourged, he was shipwrecked, imprisoned, mobbed, mocked, and stoned in Lystra and left for dead outside of the city. Uh, the Bible speaks about his sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 24. And the Bible reads there, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." And as we think about the life of the Apostle Paul, he was a man that was uh, fully devoted. He was a man that was fully consecrated uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that God had called him to do. He alone accomplished more for the cause of Christ than, than many churches combined together as we think about the history of Christianity. But even with this impressive resume, what I want us to understand here concerning the attitude of the Apostle Paul is what we find within these verses. After all that he had accomplished, after all that he had done for the Lord Jesus Christ, after all the souls that he had won, after all the suffering that he faced as he was standing faithfully for the faith of the Savior, he says there, I have not apprehended. Uh, he says there within those verses, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And that word perfect speaks about complete. It speaks about maturation. And, and basically, Paul was saying, despite all of these accomplishments and despite all the spiritual growth that I've attained to, I have not arrived. I am not as Christ-like as I ought to be. I am not as holy as I wish to be. There's still more for me to do for the cause of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, this was not a spirit of depression. Uh, this was not insecurity or one of perfectionism, but rather it was a healthy dissatisfaction of the status quo. This was a spiritual humility and a godly desire to always be spiritually growing and pressing forward in his Christian life, realizing that at every single moment there's more for him to learn, that at every single moment there's more to do for the Lord Jesus Christ, that at every single moment there's another person to share the gospel with and to see a soul come to the saving knowledge of our Savior. 
And you see, likewise for us here this morning, if we're going to be successful in the Christian life, it begins with this proper attitude about ourselves that we have not apprehended, uh, that we have not arrived, that we must continue to strive, we must continue to grow, we must continue to learn, and we must continue to press forward in the call that God has for us upon our lives. And I'm afraid here this morning, oftentimes many Christians get uh, self-satisfied, uh, oftentimes comfortable with a false estimate of their spiritual condition, and uh, sometimes we feel like we've arrived. And uh, I think about the resume of the Apostle Paul and all that he's done for the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I think about my resume. I've never even written one word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and said that was Scripture. That's never happened in my life, but as we think about Paul, he's written several epistles and books within the New Testament. I've never been beaten by lictors. I've never suffered shipwreck before for the cause of the gospel and my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But oftentimes, if I'm not careful, I think within my heart, hey, I've arrived because maybe I've learned some aspects of theology or I've apprehended because maybe I've memorized a few verses. And we must always have a proper attitude within our Christian life that, hey, no matter how much the Lord allows us to accomplish and no matter how much the Lord allows us to grow, I have not apprehended, I have not arrived. There's still room for growth, and there's still more that we must do for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think oftentimes we don't realize how God perceives us. And we have a false perception of ourselves when it comes to our position. I think about the church at Laodicea in Revelations uh, chapter number 3. They became complacent and apathetic. And the Bible says there in verse number 14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. And they were comfortable. Uh, they got to a point here in this church where they felt like they were doing well, but we find here the rebuke of the Lord uh, as in God's sight. They were carnal, and they were wretched, and they were complacent, and apathetic, and, and they still had to keep pressing forward for the cause of Christ. And we must always avoid the attitude of spiritual complacency within our lives, where we begin to think that we've done enough, uh, where we begin to think that we've arrived in our prayer life, or we've arrived in our scripture reading, or our study of the Word of God, or that we've arrived when it comes to our soul winning, we must also always have a healthy dissatisfaction that we would press forward and keep moving forward for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I think about a story of a man by the name of uh, Robert Klaus. He first moved into his 100-year-old house, and he noticed that there was a lot of creaking and cracking throughout that house, and so he hired a carpenter to find out uh, what the problem was, and the carpenter came, and, and uh, at the end of his inspection, he told him that his house is crooked. Uh, he told him that it was built upon a lousy foundation, and, and once he heard that, Klaus said, I could see it in the floors, the ceilings, the roof line, the door jams, even the window frames, drop a ball on the floor, and it will roll away into oblivion. But you know, the odd thing about this story is that when this man was interviewed, this was 17 years after he had moved into that crooked house. And, and even after almost two decades, he had done nothing to correct the problem concerning his crooked house. It got to a point where he just got comfortable. He learned how to live with it. And in that interview, he even said that he grew to like how his house was slanted. 
And you see here today, this morning, if we're not careful, our Christian life can become that way. Uh, we get comfortable, we get complacent, we're no longer growing, we become apathetic, and we just coast instead of striving forward for the Lord. I heard about a Christian that always wears a rubber band on his wrist. And uh, it's definitely not a fashion statement that he's trying to make, but it's a reminder to him that the rubber band is most effective and useful when it is stretched. It is no good if it's just laxed and sits at rest. Also at the same time, it's no good if you stretch it too far and it snaps. But when it is adequately stretched, it is beneficial, useful, and profitable. And so first of all, we find here the proper attitude of the Apostle Paul. He was always stretching. Uh, he was always growing. He was always desirous to learn and to do more and to reach others and to improve in his Christian life. And so first of all, as we think about how we can have a successful race for our Savior, we must have a proper attitude before the Lord. But then secondly, I want you to notice with me, uh, we must have prioritized actions. And notice what the Bible says in the latter portion of verse number 13 and then also in verse number 14. And the Bible reads there, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And first of all, as we think about these prioritized actions, I find here in verse number 13, there must be a forgetting of the past, a forgetting of the past. And notice those words there that we find in verse 13. It says, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to literally forget our past, for there are certain things within our past that uh, might be impossible for us to erase and forget. But what it's speaking about here is that it is possible through God's word and also through God's grace to no longer be influenced by our past. Uh, it is possible by the grace of God to no longer be affected by our past. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said this concerning this passage, forgetting those things which are behind does not suggest an impossible feat of mental and psychological gymnastics by which we try to erase the past. It simply means that we break the power of the past. And of course, we think about the truths within the Bible that we're supposed to remember uh, the great blessings that God has given us and his goodness. And, and we ought to give thanks concerning that. But in this context, uh, Paul is referring to his past concerning his laurels and concerning his accolades that brought about pride within his heart. And then also primarily he is referring to our past sins and our past failures, those that if we continuously ruminate and bring up within our lives is going to paralyze us in the present time. It's going to impair our future and it will hinder our pursuit of Jesus Christ. I think about when you drive a car, you have that large windshield in front of you, and then right in the center above, you have that small rearview mirror. Uh, every once in a while, it might help to glance at that mirror to see what's behind you, but if you constantly stare at that mirror and you're not looking forward at your destination, you're never going to arrive where you're supposed to go. And likewise, when it comes to our Christian lives as well, a brief glance to our past at times might might help us. There might be lessons that we need to learn and grow from, but then we must focus on today, and we must focus on tomorrow, and we must press forward by faith in the Word of God. And let's be honest here today, sometimes the devil and sometimes our very own flesh tries to discourage us. 
uh, tries to bring up our past sins and our failures, and, and they try to deceive us that we're worthless and that we can never do anything great for our Savior and, they, and that we cannot live a victorious Christian life today and tomorrow. And I want to encourage you here this morning that as we think about this truth here in the Scriptures, the Bible teaches us forgetting those things which are behind and, and pressing forth. And by the grace of God, we no longer have to be in bondage of our sins and our failures, for God's grace is sufficient, and God forgives us. And if we confess and repent, He restores us, and God is ready to use us once again in a mighty way for His glory and for His honor. I think about the writer here of the book that's written to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul. And uh, here was a man, if there was ever a Christian that could have been haunted and hindered by his past, it would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, historians attribute to Paul over 2,000 Christians that were imprisoned and martyred under his authority. He was part of the religious elite, and he prided himself in the persecution of those concerning the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was such an evil man that when he first got saved, even the church there uh, was not quite certain, are you sure Paul got saved, or is this just a deception that he's coming uh, to persecute us here within the house of God? In Acts 9, 26, the Bible says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And so Paul was a wicked man who had murdered innocent lives and committed atrocious sins, but God's grace was sufficient. And by God's grace, he was saved. And by God's grace, he was transformed and used by God to be one of the greatest Christians of all time. And I'm reminded of that wonderful truth in Romans 5, verse number 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And thank God for Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And you see, when somebody comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're saved, God doesn't simply turn over a new leaf, but the Bible teaches us that that individual is completely transformed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new within their lives. And it doesn't matter if one was a drug addict. Uh, it doesn't matter if they were a prostitute. It doesn't matter if they were a thief or a criminal or even a murderer. Like the Apostle Paul, Jesus makes all things new, and His grace is always greater than our sin. And thank God for the grace that we can receive at the moment of salvation. But then at the same time, can I encourage each and every one of us here this morning that God's grace is still sufficient in our Christian life as we fall and fail and commit sins and fall short of how we ought to live. God's grace is still sufficient that He would restore us once again and use us in a mighty way for His glory. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think about the character of David. He committed adultery. Uh, he committed murder. We, we know the list of sins that he committed within his life, but by God's grace, he went to be the greatest king of Israel who also wrote many of the Psalms that we find here within the Bible. I think about Elijah. He broke down as a prophet of God, and he ran away, got depressed because of, uh, because of Jezebel and the, and, and the criticism and the threats that he heard from her, and he was in a depression state with suicidal thoughts, but by God's grace, he went on to anoint Elijah, and by God's grace, he went on to continue 
continue and was translated into heaven in a fiery chariot. I think about John Mark in the New Testament. He ended up deserting Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, but by God's grace, he went on to serve the Lord faithfully, and he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And look, if you have some kind of failure in your life here this morning, uh, if you have some area of a past sin and, and uh, as you've tried to follow Christ, maybe there's something where you failed and or fell or, or maybe somewhere where you have a shortcoming, could I encourage you? It's not fatal. And could I encourage you here this morning? It's not final and it doesn't define who you are. It has no power over your future besides that which you allow it to have. And God's grace is much greater than your failures. And God's grace is much greater than our sins. And God's grace is much greater to restore us and to use us and to fill us us and to, and to use us to bring great glory and to do a great work for our Savior once again. Of course, we think about the testimony of Peter and uh, denied the Lord three times. And when he had the encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus did not ask him why he failed and did not remind him of his failure, but he simply asked him, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Three times, thou knowest I love thee. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And, and Jesus was saying to Peter there, hey, I, I realize what you did in the past, but hey, that's in the past. And if you've confessed and you repented, then hey, let's move on. There's a lot of work to be done. Let's put those things behind us and let's continue to press forward to get a work done for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know what's in your past. And uh, I don't know what you sit with here this morning. I don't know if you're, if you're ridden with guilt and shame because of maybe some area that you've committed a sin or maybe some failure. Let me encourage you this morning, confess that before the Lord, repent that before the Lord, and then place that in the past and look forward by faith in His grace and do a work for our Savior. Somebody has said you can choose to let your past define you, confine you, outshine you, or refine you. Refine you to be a better servant. For the Lord. And so we find here, first of all, there must be a forgetting uh, of the past. But then notice with me as we continue in verse 13 and verse 14, I find here next a fervent pursuit. Uh, the prioritized actions of forgetting the past, but now there's a fervent pursuit after the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 13, and reaching forth, Unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And those words, reaching forth, means to stretch. And it's a picture of a runner who is stretching all of his muscles and, and pressing towards that finish line. And Paul is saying here, like a runner pursuing the prize, the crown, or the wreath, or the, or the gold medal, whatever it might be, he says, I too am and stretching forth. Uh, I, I'm stretching out with all of my might, pursuing after Jesus Christ. And I believe with all my heart, according to the writings of the Apostle Paul, that as he speaks about this constant pursuit in his life, it was a pursuit to know Christ. Uh, it was a pursuit to know Him personally, intimately, uh, greater and greater as the days go by. And then it was a pursuit to be conformed into His image that He would be like Christ, not only when it came to the power of Christ, but also the sufferings and the difficulties that He faced for just a few verses before the Bible says in verse number 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And you see here today, that needs to be our pursuit in life. And that needs to be our passion. And that needs to be what consumes us each and every day. And that needs to be uh, our fervent chase and pursuit. It is to know Christ. And then it is to be like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember back in, um, 
1992, Gatorade came out with probably one of their most effective marketing ads. And uh, back then, I was, uh, I was uh, about 11 years old in 1992, and, and uh, that marketing ad involved Michael Jordan, and it had a jingle that was extremely catchy, and uh, the song, the main line that repeated itself over and over was, I want to be like Mike. And the commercials would have Michael Jordan and little kids all chasing after him, trying to do the things that he did. And, and constantly, that was the phrase that went on over and over, I want, to be, I want to be like Mike. And when I was a young teenager then in the early 90s, I too wanted to be like Mike. And uh, I remember watching those commercials, and, and I'd study how he dribbled the ball, and I'd try to dribble the ball like Michael Jordan. And I'd see how he shoot that ball, and I'd try to shoot the ball exactly like Michael Jordan. And if you know anything about basketball and Michael Jordan, uh, we all know that the real power of Michael Jordan, it comes from his tongue, right? And when he played basketball, he would stick out his tongue. Every time he'd go in for a drive or shoot, he'd go, ah, and he'd stick out his tongue the entire time. And, and so I thought, hey, if you want to be like Jordan, not only do you dribble like him, shoot like him, but you got to stick out that tongue. And uh, I remember going to school and recess time, and we'd play basketball, and, and I wouldn't even have the ball, and I'd be running around, ah, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and that's what I was trying to do, and people would look at me. And uh, you could imagine it, just a, just a short little Asian kid, you know, trying to play basketball. And, and uh, people would look at me and say, what, what is wrong with you? Ah, what, are you okay? Are you having a seizure? What's going on? And, uh, but I thought, hey, that's what I want. I want to be like Mike. And so I was trying to copy him and everything that he was doing. You know, 30 years later now, today, I can honestly say I don't want to be like Mike anymore. I can honestly say here this morning, I don't want to be like Tiger Woods. To be honest with you, if I can be transparent by the grace of God, I don't want to be like any sports athlete or, or entertainer. But to be honest with you here this morning, I want to be like Jesus. Amen. And that's my heart. By the grace of God, I want to talk like Jesus. Uh, by the grace of God, I want to walk like Jesus. I want to serve others like Jesus. Uh, I, I want to love others like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, to be a successful runner in the Christian race, one who does not quit, one who does not fall and remains down, there must be a passion within our hearts where we desire to know Christ and to become more and more like Him. And I wonder here this morning, what are we fervently pursuing? Sometimes we're pursuing a job. Uh, sometimes we might be pursuing money or some form of entertainment or some possession or some position or a sport or a hobby or maybe you're fervently pursuing that uh, girlfriend or boyfriend and, and all of this not necessarily wrong if, if kept within its limits, but primarily our fervent pursuit must be after our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalms 27 verse 4, it says, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In Psalm 42, the psalmist writes, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And that must be our prioritized action as we run faithfully our race for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I find here concerning a successful race, a proper attitude, Secondly, prioritized actions, forgetting the past, and then a fervent pursuit to be more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, as we close here, I want you to notice with me, I find here a persistent alignment. 
Not only a proper attitude, a prioritized action, but a persistent alignment. Notice what it says there in verse number 15. It says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. I think about those words right there in the middle, thus minded. Uh, it means to exercise the mind. It means to constantly interest oneself in, to, to constantly set our affection upon. And the idea that we find here in Philippians chapter number 3 is the same that we find in Philippians chapter number 4, where, where Paul admonishes and encourages us to think on these things. He's saying, I want you to realign yourself and, and ruminate upon your mind and focus upon these principles and these statutes that I'm teaching you here within this passage. And, and he's teaching us that we ought to keep our minds focused on this truth. And, and when we get distracted, we are to ruthlessly and persistently get rid of those distractions and realign once again our mind on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth and the fact of the matter is here this morning in the Christian life, it is inevitable that we will get distracted. Uh, as being humans, not being perfect here this morning, it is inevitable that we're going to have times when we lose our focus. And there's going to be times when we wane in our zeal. And, and there's going to be times when we find ourselves that pursuing after Christ has not been the top priority within our lives. But notice and, and realize here this morning that being a successful runner doesn't mean that we are perfect in the Christian race, but it does mean that we're persistent. Uh, it does mean when we find ourselves out of alignment. It does mean when we find ourselves out of our lane and no longer is Christ the priority and, and there's some other things within our life that has superseded that primary pursuit, it does mean to be a successful runner we need to realize that fact and very quickly confess and repent and get back in line so that our heart is pursuing after our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must persistently uh, eliminate those distractions that would come about that would hinder us from thinking upon this truth and focusing upon these truths that we find here within these verses. I think about a story of a painter that was finishing his painting of Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. And uh, before unveiling his painting, he decided to show it to a friend for whose opinion he had, he had very high respect towards. And as the friend saw that painting, his praise was unbounded. And, and as he observed that painting for some time, the very first thing that he said to the painter was this. He said, that cup. He said, that cup that you painted in the hand of Jesus Christ, that cup is especially beautiful. That's amazing. That's a masterpiece. That cup is beautiful. And as soon as that painter heard those words, he grabbed his paintbrush and he grabbed his paint and he started painting over that cup. He started, he started erasing, he started painting out that cup from that painting. And his friend was astonished and he was confounded. And when he asked his painter friend for an explanation, this was simply how he replied as he was painting out that cup. He said, nothing, he said, nothing must distract from the figure of Jesus Christ. He said, nothing must take our primary attention away from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see here, as Paul teaches us in verse number 15, he says, be thus minded. Think on these things. Focus on this truth. What truth is that? To realize we have not apprehended, that we have not arrived 
We still have a lot of room for growth and improvement in our Christian life to realize here concerning the fact that that we must pursue Christ, that he must be priority in first place within our hearts. And if we would maintain, according to the teachings of Paul, a proper attitude, and if we would maintain a prioritized actions as we think about forgetting the past and fervently pursuing our Savior, And then if we would persistently align our life, as we get distracted, as we find ourselves out of alignment, if we would quickly get back, we find here within the Scriptures that we too can run a successful Christian race like the Apostle Paul that we find within this passage. And so a proper attitude, a prioritized action, and then a persistent alignment. And I pray that could be a blessing and an encouragement to us here this morning.